turn to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15 is where I've been in, you know, wherever I'm teaching, I'm going through the Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 15, we're going to look tonight at verses 1 through 12. And I entitled the message, Wisdom and the Tongue. Wisdom and the Tongue. Because God's Word has a lot to say about how we communicate. So verse 1 and 2 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up, stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pulls, pours forth foolishness. So the number one thing that we see here is it says a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer speaks of words that are tender, words that are soft, words that are gentle or delicate, words that are exquisite or refined or or sensitive. We need to speak in a way. As Christians, we are called to be better skilled at using our tongues than the world would normally use the tongue. So when it comes to Using our tongues, there should be a difference in how we use it compared to the world. You know, think of a butcher's knife and a scalpel. There's, they're both cutting instruments. And our tongue should be more like a scalpel or a surgical instrument than something that we butcher. You know, and it's just a figure of speech because I know there are very skillful butchers. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible likens the word of God likened to a sharp sword. In Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, it says, For the word of God is alive and it is powerful. It is sharper than any sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, Between joint and marrow, it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we all must give an account. So the phrase to turn away here in verse one to turn or to return is it here. It speaks not of adding wrath to wrath. Don't add wrath to wrath. So here the remedy is a soft answer will turn away verbal pain. It'll turn away verbal hurt, offense, sorrow and added hardship. Unfortunately, we like to go. We like to go toe to toe with people. You know, that's a fighting term. I like to go toe to toe, jab for jab. And and just uh, when it comes to when somebody offends me, you know, their voice starts to raise. And there goes my voice. And we begin to mirror each other's attitude. And then the level starts going up. The tone, you, you hear it in the tone. And it just all flares up. And this happens a lot in, in, re, in, in relationships. It happens a lot in relationships. I call it going to the cabinet. You know, all of a sudden you, you offend me and I get mad. And then uh, I go to my cabinet and I pull something out in my file 
etiquette of something where you offended me in the past. And we go back and forth. But we need as Christians to not get into the heat of the moment. We need to learn to get God involved because here a heart, it says a harsh, speaking of harsh, it says if I have a harsh answer, it'll stir up anger. And God knows. And the word stir up, think of a picture of going up and climbing to the top. You're just climbing to a higher level. And you reach a level to where you you start to look down and you, you start getting scared and you say, oh, no, man, I'm in danger. And sometimes our words could get us to a place where we're in danger or we're endangering others. Or think of it. Think of your words like a shooting forth of wild vegetation. You know, I think of roots. You know, under the surface, they just spread. They spread out quickly. You don't see them. They're under the surface. They're under the ground of your heart. And the Bible talks about we could even have bitterness. We could let it fester into our hearts. You know, I've seen this bitterness tear up families. And I've seen this bitterness tear up the church. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19 says... An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. You see, arguments separate friends. They're like a locked gate with bars on it, the scripture says. But think of it like going up over a boundary. I'm jumping over a boundary, but you're headed with your words to a place of no return. You can't take those things back, what you said, that are hurtful and harmful. So it doesn't take much, the Bible says. It doesn't take much to get the tongue going. But add a little anger to it, and the tongue is like fuel to a fire. In James chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. You know, we, we make grand speeches with these with these small things that we have between our teeth but it says a tiny spark in speaking of anger can set a forest on fire so we have to be careful with our words as christians we should be wise with our words as christians we should control our emotion especially in the area of anger for here the bible says the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness so like a fool pouring out words they just bubble forth they just gush out and like a fool it it says carelessly they pour out something like without even thinking of where it's headed don't pour out your words like that and anger is the root or the fuel that'll get you going so the bible warns us scripture says to stir up it's it's the thinking of that anger is bringing something. Think of it like this, that your anger is bringing something to a boil. It's bringing something to a boil, your anger. And then you're pouring it out in your words without care. And just think of the damage that boiling water can do to somebody. 
You know, I got burned by a tortilla not too long ago. And, man, you know, it left me a big burn on my side. I tried to get it off the off the, the stove, and I it landed on me, and a, the bubble popped, and boom. Man, I got, like, a, a really bad burn. And, you know, just... But the Bible's telling us to be careful with our words because they could scald, and they could burn, and they could they could really do a lot of damage. So anger is a loss of control. Unlike righteous indignation, we know that the Bible, you know, I remember one time getting angry and somebody told me, hey, Jesus didn't get angry. You know, why ain't you a Christian? Why are you getting angry? And I said, well, I'm sorry. Jesus did get angry. You know, you, we, you need to read through uh, John chapter five. He did get angry. But he didn't lose his control. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, it tells us, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. But here, the anger here, speaking here in Proverbs, is an anger of lost control. And speaking this way will cause uh, you to speak without common sense. You know, anger will bring you to a place where, where you're not speaking with sense. You're not speaking with consideration for the damage that we might be causing others. So the Bible has a lot to say when it comes to the area of our tongue. When anger gets the best of us, it'll often bring us to the place where we will do the most foolish, harsh, and hateful of things. I know, because I've been there. I've said the most foolish harsh and hateful things in the heat of anger. In James chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, But the wrath of God, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And Jesus spoke to the religious rulers of his day and said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 through 37, and, and Jesus called them a brood of vipers. And they rightly so. He said, How can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of your heart the mouth speaks a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things so as christians we're to make the word of god uh our treasure within our hearts so that way when we start to speak as Proverbs chapter 8 says, we speak from the treasure of what is in here. We need to get more of the word of God in me because what comes in will eventually come out. So it's, we got to be careful of what we're listening to and, and what we're feeding and what we're, we're, we're bringing into our mind. Because eventually it's going to come out. My wife often says, don't, tell, don't say that word. And I'll say, why? And she goes, it's going to come out. And I praise the Lord, it hasn't. But I stop using that word. But Jesus said here in, the, in Matthew, he said, Jesus said, I say to you that for every idle word that men speak, they will give an account on the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Yikes. Man, God's going to hold me accountable for the words I use and the way I use them. And, you know, one of the things, too, we got to be careful with tone as well. You know, it gets it gets misinterpreted. 
So don't let, a Christian, don't let anger get the best of you. And by doing so, it will bring out the worst of you. Don't let anger get the control of you. For here in verse verse 3, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord on every place. So we're going to be held accountable for our words. But here in verse 3, it says, The eyes of the Lord are on every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He, God, will hold us accountable. You see, many people like to have this idea that God should hold those people accountable. God should hold those people accountable over there. But be assured that God will hold us all accountable. All accountable. You you see, many people decry injustice. They call out for justice. But they use a different standard that they hold them to themselves. They want justice over there, but they hold themselves to a different standard. In Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, it says, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt to your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. We're all going to stand before God on the day of judgment. You see, a lot of people say, I hate Trump or I hate Biden or I hate them or I hate that or I hate this. And they're calling for justice. You see, God is going to hold everyone accountable. Be forewarned, he's going to hold Trump accountable. He's going to hold Joe Biden accountable. He's going to hold both parties accountable. He's going to hold me accountable as a pastor and a teacher. We see it in James chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, let not many of you become teachers, knowing you will receive a stricter judgment. To much is given. Luke chapter 12 verse 48 says, to much is given, much more is required. God will hold people accountable. He will hold me accountable as a pastor, a teacher, as a husband and a father. But be assured he will hold you also accountable, whoever you are. So with the same judgment we want to judge and same justice we want to have for others, be assured of it, God will hold us all accountable on the day of judgment. So if we're calling for justice, but we we need to really be careful because if God were to administered justice right now none of us would be standing none of us would be here because we all fall short we all deserve god's wrath and that's why god himself put on skin lived a perfect life and died for our sins on the cross and the only reason why we're going to heaven is because jesus died on the cross for our sins and it's what is called substitutional righteousness we don't go to heaven by our own righteousness or nor our works ephesians chapter 2 says least we boast we can't boast of our own goodness we go into heaven by the substitutional righteousness of jesus christ he paid my penalty of my sin on the cross 
His perfect life is put to my account. So when I go to the Father, He sees me pure, holy, without sin. Not because of my own goodness, but because of the substitutional righteousness of Jesus Christ. So people calling for the justice and calling for justice are really putting themselves into danger. We really should be calling for out for God's mercy. We need to be calling out for God's mercy. Now, in verse 4, we go back to the contrast between the benefits and the problem of the mouth because it is a big problem. It says a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but, a per, but perverseness in it, speaking of the mouth, breaks the spirit. So the word wholesome here speaks of, uh, of, of healthy, constructive, and, is, and something that is good. As Christians, we should pour into others the blessings of speaking lovingly, giving encouragement, sharing an edifying way, and speaking the truth in a loving way. We're called as Christians to build each other up with our words and not to tear each other down. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. And Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the continents of another. And that's the way we should be with each other. We should be encouraging one another. We should be growing with another. We should be sharpening the continents of each other and building each other up. John Maxwell said, Draw inspiration from others who have already climbed higher than we have. You see, we need to take time as Christians. We need to take time and walk with the wise. You know, and one of the things we should not be afraid of a little friction when it comes to conversation. We need to talk about deep and heavy things and difficult things. Why a little friction as that iron sharpens iron should sharpen us up. So. The Bible does call us to glean from one another like wells. You know, we should be well uh, gleaning from each other like wells of experience. You know, there's so many uh, seasoned Christians who've been through a lot. A lot of people have gained a lot of wisdom through heartache and sorrow and difficulties in marriage and overcome so many great obstacles and they're wells of resources that we should glean from so wells of experience you know we're called to refresh each other in fellowship the tree of life here is speaking of god's word like he like proverbs chapter 3 and verse 18 says it says she speaking of god's wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are they who retain her. Revelations chapter 22 verse 2 also speaks of a tree in the midst of heaven. In the middle. And it says it bears fruits and the fruit yields uh, fruit every month. And the leaves are for the healing of the, nat- of the nations. So we should hang on to God's word. God's word Uh, to us should be wisdom for us and it should be pleasant for us and it should produce fruit in us 
that both nourishes us, but also adds stability to our life. You know, God's word should be gleaned to where we have stability, that we partake of all that God has for us, and then in turn share the precious fruit. You see, our mouths should produce the fruit that produces a therapeutic blessing to those who hear us. We should be speaking wholesome words. But on the other hand, verse 3 said, perverseness in it, speaking of the mouth, breaks the spirit. So we need to be careful, Christian, with our words. Because our words can be destructive. You see, it could break and it could fracture others. Although we don't see it, it could crush them inwardly. It could crush their spirit. If we could see the damage we do by discouragement and the damage we do inwardly, we would probably hold our tongues a little more often than just shooting it off. You see, we need to practice putting a hold on our tongue. A lot of times when there's confrontations, verbal confrontations, or or just going through certain things, the Lord has taught me to get Him involved. Because a lot of times we go back and forth, back and forth, and, you know, voices go up, and we get hot, and, and we pull out the things from the file, and we get, you know, we say things that we shouldn't. But the Lord has taught me to hold my tongue. You know, a lot of times I'll, you know, when I at this point where I'm at a disagreement and it doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere. Often I will walk outside and whoever I'm dealing with, whether it be a child or a spouse or somebody in ministry or somebody, you know, in the highways and byways, I just come across or a phone call that I get. You know, the Lord has taught me to get him involved instead of just letting my anger fester. I bring it to him. I walk away and, you know, some nights I'll go out and I'll look up in the sky and I'll, I'll say, Lord, man, you know, this is what I'm feeling. You know, this is if I'm wrong, Lord, show me. Or if they're wrong, show them. And, you know, I get God involved and in and, and a lot of times God will show me uh, that I'm wrong and I need to come go and humble myself and. And, and ask for forgiveness and come in with a different approach. After I've let him minister to me, I go in there and I and I and I make amends. I humble myself. But there are some times and there are very few where God shows me I'm right in the situation. God ministers to me and shows me that I'm right. But he shows me that I'm right. But he says, God has showed me to go in and don't say a word. And oftentimes I won't say a word and I will when I don't say a word and I get God involved, I get to watch God work because he's working in those hearts. And often they will come up without me even saying a word. Say, you know what? I was wrong in this situation. I've had people come into my office and knock on the door and come in and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here. I, I go to a different church now, but I'm here to apologize for what I, I've, I've pain I've caused you. 
And you know what? It's really neat to hold your tongue, pray, and watch God get involved and intervene on your behalf and minister to you through that. And, and it's, it's a really neat thing. And I want to encourage you, if you have difficulty, start doing that. Start getting God involved in the situation because we, we tend to go back and forth and we're never going to get. And when we do that, oftentimes we leave God out of the equation and we just make matters worse. But here, verse 5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. The word despises here means one who abhors or hates. You know, a father's instructions. And a lot of times, parental instructions probably seem restrictive or outdated. And a lot of people have this view of God. That you're restrictive or you're restricting me or you're, you're outdated, man. That is old-fashioned. You see, a lot of people will say, well, why don't people, why do people dislike the Word of God? Or why do they reject it? And I, like our children, are those we love, and I, and it's perhaps that, that he's not their father. That's why they don't accept it. They they think of it as res, restrictive or outdated. But you see, God's word, He's our Father. His words never change, and in the end, we will still ha- be held accountable for His word, whether we agree with it or not. Whether we people refuse to hear it or not, they're still going to be accountable to his standard on the day of judgment. But when it comes to uh, God, we always have to look or parental uh, authority as well. We always have to look at what's the motive. What's the intention of the instructive? Why is it so restrictive? There's a motive behind it. There's an intention behind it. You see, God's word, his standard might look or seem restrictive to you for the moment. But you see, it's always for your own safety and for your own benefit. And your parents, too. If you're a parent, you got to speak to them and let them know your intentions are for their good. As God speaks to us, gives us his word, his intentions are for our good and for our benefit. Verse 6 says, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. You know, I think of family. I think of home. It's a treasure. Is it a treasure? Or is stuff and wicked gains or gains more important to me? You see... Wickedness or wicked here means hostile to God and his ways, hostile to God and his ways. It says the revenue of the wicked, the revenue of the wicked will reap trouble. Well, how do we know it's an everlasting reward for wickedness in Romans chapter six and verse 23? Paul said for the wages of sin, wickedness is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, he says, For what is it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Or what will a man exchange for his soul? Luke chapter 9, verse 25, also Jesus said, For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed and lost? So God gives us all his words as a treasure in the home of our hearts. Because this is something we need to think about. Because the evil is always, wickedness is always tempting us to go into its trouble. But the revenue of the wicked leads to everlasting trouble. We have to be careful in the area of temptation, Christian. Verse 7 says, The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of fools, of the fool does not do so. The wise disperse knowledge with a purpose. Unlike the careless, foolish pouring that we saw here in verse 2 of this chapter. As Christians, we are called to be wise with knowledge. We are to, to dispense knowledge. And I think, of some, I think of a diffuser. I think of a diffuser. You know, our words should be like a good aroma. Enjoyable and therapeutic. And that's the words that we should use with knowledge, God's knowledge. We should be dispensing it as something good, something enjoyable, something therapeutic for their souls and for our souls and for the church's benefit. Verse 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Sacrifice here in Scripture speaks of slain animals for God's pleasure. But we have to understand that it was always a type of Christ. The, the, the sacrificed animal is just a type of Christ taking the judgment of sin upon himself. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. It says to the Christian, we're called to walk in love. We're called to walk in love as Christ also loved us and he has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God the Father for a sweet smelling aroma. You see, God doesn't desire sacrifice. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 22. Samuel said, has the Lord great pleasure and delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice? As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Samuel says, behold, better to obey than to sacrifice, than to heed God's word than the fat of rams. You see, no sacrifice of the wicked can ever appease the Lord. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm a good person and God will let me into heaven because of my good works. Or I'm completing sacraments. Or I, I do these feasts. Or I do these rituals. Or I count these things. And I do these number of prayers every day. It's not going to get you into heaven. God will not accept that sacrifice. 
He only accepts the sacrifice of the blood of the precious Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the sacrifice. But he desires for us as Christians to be obedient. To be obedient to what? His word. But how can the Christian be obedient when he is so depart from the word? I have to be in the word every day. I should be in the word every day. The word is likened to milk and meat and something that I need. But if I'm attached, how can I obey if I'm not in the word? If I don't let God speak to me. But here God's word says the prayer of the upright is his delight. Man, that is so beautiful. You know, God doesn't desire sacrifice, but he's saying, man, the prayer of the upright, those people who are right in a relationship with me, your prayers are a delight. And now I'm going to read verses 9 through 12 in the New Living Translation. It says, the Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue godliness. Why? Why does God detest the way of the wicked? Why does God detest the way of the wicked? Because he doesn't love them? Not, not so. The reason why God hates the way of the wicked is because God knows what the end will look like. He knows what the end will look like. And he's not willing that any should perish. Verse 10 says, whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined. Whoever hates correction will die. When I think here of one who's severely disciplined, I think of Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 18, verses 8 through 9. Remember when Jesus says, if your hand causes or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off or it'd be better for you to enter life lamed and maimed rather than having two hands and two feet and to be cast into the lake of fire or if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out and cast it from you for it's better that you enter in with one eye than having two and to be cast into eternal hell and fire in other words, Jesus here was speaking figuratively. Get things right. Cut those things off. Stop doing that. And he's going to discipline you and, and show you your error so that you can get right, so that you wouldn't wander from the path. But verse 10b here, it says, whoever hates correction will die. Whoever hates correction will die. And once we leave here, once we die, there is no turning back. There is no second chance for anyone. Revelations chapter 2 and verse 11, it's Jesus said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You see, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to go into everlasting fire. He doesn't want anyone to experience the second death. For here in verse 11 in Proverbs 15, it says even death and destruction hold no secret for the Lord. Death and destruction 
hold no secrets from the Lord. How much more does he, God, know the human heart? God knows our hearts. There is no secret thing to God. But here in verse 12, it says, Mockers hate to be corrected. So they stray, they stay away from the wise. And that's why people reject God's word. That's why people don't want the word. Why? Because it'll either correct them. And that's why they stay away. Why don't you go to church? I'm staying away. Why? I don't want to be corrected. They're headed down a dangerous path. Verse 12 says, mockers or scoffers. A mocker or a scoffer here is one who is self-inflated. One who thinks God's word is beneath them or they think they know better than him. Very dangerous place to be. We need to pray. And I'll close with Peter's words to the church. If you have your Bible and you're following along, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 through 15, I will read from the New Living Translation. These were Peter's words to the church. He said, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think so. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but God wants everyone to to repent but the day of the lord will come unexpectedly as a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you shall live. Speaking of the church. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Waiting for it with expectancy. On that day, He will set the heavens on fire. And the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking for the new heavens and the new earth that He has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives. That you are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And this, He said, is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God has given him. And that chapter, or that portion of Scripture, really hits the point of chapter 15. And more so because at one time, the Apostle Paul, these are Peter's words, and he's talking about the Apostle Paul. 
how he gave, God gave him these beautiful words for us. And at one time, the Apostle Paul rebuked Peter. He rebuked Peter and he called him and Barnabas hypocrites in Galatians chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. But you see, Paul was corrected and he let the correction. This correction didn't make Paul bitter. It made him better. So watch your words. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, like Colossians 3.16 says. Let it minister to you. Let it transform you. Let it change you. Become more like it. And when you're not like it, recognize those areas of shortcoming and pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Pray for, as Paul said, a metamorphosis in your life, that there would be a change. Too many of us have this idea that I'm, I'm just this way. Man, if I say I'm just this way and there's no change, man, that is carnal and that is spiritually immature. Man, we need to change. I need to change. And I need a metamorphosis. I need a, a transformation of my life. And that, for the Christian, only comes through obedience in the Word of God and the Spirit of God working in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this instruction. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Father, that, you, that you've given us instruction that when it comes to anger, we would be wise, Lord. We would be careful with people. We would be careful with our tongues. We would retain your, your wisdom and your knowledge. Help us to be more like you. All the things that we see here that are in the negative sense, Lord, we pray, Father, that, that those things would be far from us. And, Father, that everything that is wholesome and good and, and, and Father, a blessing to you and to your people and to the people of this world... Father, we pray, Lord, that that would be us. So, Father, we pray for a work of your Holy Spirit. Father, as we read your word, may we live it. And, Father, we thank you that you called us to change, but not by self-effort, by the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord. So, Father, we pray for a change and a transformation of our minds and our hearts, Lord. And may our feet and our hands follow after. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord. Bless you, Lord. We love you. And Father, bless your people. We ask that you bless them. And we praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. Again, if you're at home and you need a Bible, if you need to pray with somebody, you can email us at church at cccornerstone.com and, uh, you know, keep Pastor Joe in prayer, praying that he's here on Sunday morning. Uh, the, will you please stand? The worship team will lead us in one more song. And you guys have a wonderful week. God bless you all.